Welcome to the Passion Harvest podcast audio series. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Louisa, your host, International Passion Ambassador. If you would like to watch this episode, please head over to our Passion Harvest channel on YouTube. We love taking you on a journey to discover your passions. Thanks for listening. Hello, passionate listeners and watchers. Welcome to Passion Harvest. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are in the world right now. I am Louisa, your host, and our guest today is Lynn Monet. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Lynn Monet is a paranormal consultant and specializes in hauntings and afterlife. Lynn has the ability to see spirits, frequencies interdimensionally most cannot. Lynn has worked as a nurse for over 20 years, focusing on end-of-life care. She's the author of Omnipresent, What Happens Next. This is her story and this is her passion. Lynn, welcome to Passion Harvest. I can't wait to get started and I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so very much for having me. I was really looking forward to this. I was so thrilled that you reached out. Um, well, I'm honored to have you on the show, and we've got so much to talk about. We're going to actually do it in a two part episode, which is really exciting. There's so much content that I can't wait to get through, but I'd just love to start with your incredible ability to see spirits. Um, do you mind just talking a little bit about that? I was raised Presbyterian, but, um, and my mother rerouted to a different religion, uh, it was called Jehovah's Witness, and she. Um, took me at one point because I kept talking about seeing things, um, but, but they were appropriate things. They weren't like seeing pink elephants on the wall. You know, they were like seeing people in patient counts or Indians for that matter, because there were Indian mounds on the other side of the, the, the hospital. And my sister and brothers were seeing, my sister and brother were seeing them too, but they just learned to be more quiet, you know, uh, faster than I did. I was more opened about it. And so my mother ended up taking me in front of the the elders of the church and at 10 years old and the things that they told me accused you know told me that i was seeing demons and i mean they scared me so bad that i got very very quiet about my gifts i, I would still continue to see things i would ignore it i would uh downplay it i would make excuses for it or rationalize it in some way and i just learned really quick not to tell people about it anymore and i actually even learned to become afraid of of it so when even though i still saw glimpses of things um i I had two children and I had become divorced. I was a single mother and I was living with my children, trying to recover from that divorce financially and re get my credit back in condition to be able to purchase a home. And what happened after that was that I inadvertently purchased a home that was haunted, which I'm going to go more into at the end, but being exposed to that reopened everything and I was also able to you know get with people of like mind that supported what I was seeing because they were also seeing it so everything then you know came back also as a nurse um, which is what the book colors of heaven beginnings never end I've written um, it's going to be coming out the end of this month it's some point in between the, the next two weeks it'll be on my site to be purchased um, and uh 
being being a nurse, I've been a nurse for 35 years. So 17 of that I've I've been in end of life care and um, also geriatrics, and I've gotten to know you know my clients very very well. But there I, there have been consistencies. There's uh, people when they when they pass, when they go to cross over, um, that that I've observed. And so I wanted to write this book to help take the stigma of death and dying away and to try to share with people what I've seen, what I've experienced, what I know, because I've seen it again and again. And not just me, but other nurses too that I've worked with have also seen things as well that are similar. But um, I, um, so I wrote the book surrounding that and, and how the whole idea started was when uh, my mother, she had cancer and she had decided to stop treatments. And um, we went for a year uh, with checking off her bucket list and, and that sort of thing. And I was the only one with her in the room when she passed away. So just a little bit of a story with that. The year that my mother and I had, we wrote out the recipes and things and got the dash and the, 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 the little sprinkle of this and that so that the flavor was just right so that we could still have my mom, you know, her dishes and things like that at holidays. And um, we made a pact. And I said to her, I said, Mom, you know, sometimes life is so stressful. When I, you know, and when you're gone, I want to know for sure that you're really, really here. And I don't want to doubt, doubt myself or think that it's my imagination. I said, would you please leave one of your hairs? Because they can do that. They can send in a symbol of something like owls or squirrels or ladybugs or, you know, and, and you find these things during times of the year that they just shouldn't even be around. But my mother had this beautiful white pearlescent, very long hair. It was wavy. It was beautiful hair. And of course, all the rest of us, you know, we're dark haired, even if it's my bottle, but that's okay. So, but she was the only one with that color hair. And um, to this day, I'm still finding those white hairs. And I'll tell you a little bit of story about that on the back end, but I wanted to go then forward. So we made this pact on the day of her funeral. I, I went ahead and I uh, decided to take a bath instead of a shower and I put some bubbles in and one of her very very long hairs were just placed lengthwise it wasn't even curled on lengthwise on top of those bubbles this past Thanksgiving on a seat I found one of her hairs now I have moved twice and two of the homes she's never even been in because she's been gone for seven years and my car also she you know she has not been in there's nothing that that hair could have come off of. Um, and I will tell this too, before I go into my mom's passing, I had gone back to school to further my degree as a nurse and it was a very difficult day. I had a test in, in a class that I was, I was, it was a do or die test. You know, you only had two of them and you had to go ahead and pass or, or not, not be able to stay in the class. And before that, I went to the school's bookstore and I picked up a three ring binder and I picked up this loose leaf booklet thing that I needed to take apart and put in the three ring binder. And I went straight from the bookstore into my car that she had never been in before to the school, to my desk. And I opened it and in that three ring binder looped over and over and that middle one was a white long hair looped in the teeth of that, that center ring. Now, I would fight God for my children. I don't know what parent wouldn't if, if they felt they were going to be taking away. And I swear on my children's lives, what I'm telling you is the truth. There is no way 
no way that that hair could have gotten there by itself. There's just no way. And of course it brought a lot of comfort to me. Yes. So when we got to the, the part where um, my mother started to transition, the thing about people is, is most of the time there's, there's a difference between natural death, sudden death, and a um, near-death experience. There are, are differences. When it comes to a natural death, which was the way that hers was and, uh, and most people's are, um, they, they know ahead of time that they're gonna be passing. My mother went around the day before in her, in her wheelchair telling people goodbye and even told one lady that dog had just passed away two days before that she would take care of the dog for her on the other side until the lady could get there. And lo and behold, she did, she passed the next day. But uh, what had happened was, is I was the only one there. My brother was on his way. He wasn't able to get there in time. So I was sitting in the room and my mother was no longer able to verbalize. Her eyes were closed, but she was still responding. She was mouthing and the eyebrows would go up and down with the mouthing. And it was appropriate. People would come in and say, hi, Phyllis. And she'd go, you know, she would react. Um, so we, we are sitting there, I'm sitting in a recliner next to her bed and she is laying there peacefully. And I, all of a sudden I see this like misting, like a veil almost, um, filling the whole length of the room on the other side. And I can see movement on the other side. I can see like an elbow occasionally peek out or a pant leg with a foot, um, you know, peek out and I'm watching. And as I'm sitting there watching, I notice that there's a part of it to the end on the far end where my near my mother's head of her bed was that started to open and in that opening I saw my grandmother step in and she looked the exact same as I remember seeing her and they do they present to you the exact same as you remember seeing them last and I mean she had her leisure suit on that she had made herself and her glasses everything looked the exact same and her spirit walked over to my mother's bed and she started stroking the inside of my mother's arm and she would lean forward and she would say something into my mother's ear. And my mother would then do that mouthing and eyebrow thing and then she would stop. And then my grandmother would lean forward again and she would start mouthing. So she was hearing them telepathically. And that's one thing too, is people's hearing declines here in the physical world. It does start to open up for the telepath telepathically. Um, so, this happened three times. And while this was going on, I see this frantic wave behind my grandmother's head. And it was my beautiful sister. I had a sister that was uh, murdered by a jealous boyfriend. And um, she was behind my grandmother. Again, she looked the exact same and I could smell her perfume. It filled the room. She wore an unusual perfume back in the eighties and it was very uniquely her. And I could just, I could smell it. And she kind of came from around and actually embraced me. I could feel her long hair falling over my face. I could smell her perfume. And then it seemed as she went to go back around the room, the whole wall had effaced. Everything, you could see everybody in there and they had prepared, there were a lot of people there. They had prepared this beautiful, um, reunion this 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 reception almost and there was a there was a table under this beautiful tree that kind of had a white flowing cloth on it but there was like no food or anything on it which I found out why later which I'll share with you in a minute but um so I'm watching this 
and it's like the the there was light but it wasn't glarish it was but it was like the air emitted from within the atmosphere itself there was not like a light source like a sun it was just like emitting from itself so as i'm watching all of this i'm watching all of these people and i'm noticing this there are colors there that we do not have here that you can't even describe i mean it just it, it would be impossible we would need a whole nother color wheel and so um, I'm watching all of this going on, and then all of a sudden, I notice a whole group of them clustering, like almost like in a football hold, on the near the head of her bed. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, why, why are they doing that? And of course, the joy and the elation and the feeling coming from that other side is there. There aren't words. There's no feeling that can touch it. There's no, in our words, there's no words that can touch it, but you can't help but smile. So I'm sitting there grinning from ear to ear. I'm watching this and all of a sudden they kind of open up and in the middle, my mother was standing and it was like they were trying to help her stabilize her spiritual feet. So I'm watching her. She's beaming from ear to ear. One by one, they're approaching her. Many of the, I mean, quite a few of the people I recognized from this lifetime that I've seen and met before, there were a lot of them that I didn't, but my mother knew and they were, and, and I mean, she was just so happy. And I, all of a sudden I look over to, to, oh, and let me just back up and say this one thing. When my mother's mother and my sister came into the room, I did tell my mother, I said, mom, Robin and, and grandma are here to, to get you, to help you cross over. And she started doing the mouthing thing. And within 10 minutes, she took her last breath. She, she left. So here she is, I'm watching her. To me, she's not dead. And then all of a sudden I look over and I notice that she's not breathing anymore. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, here I am sitting, my mother's just stopped breathing. To me, she's not dead because I can see her right there, you know? and what is the nurse going to think if she comes in and I'm sitting there, my mother's died and I'm grinning from ear to ear. That's not a normal response. You know, I didn't even think I did something to her, you know? So I called in the nurse, the nurse came in uh, the side of the room that all of the, the souls were, were welcoming my mother. They were on the other side of the bed. The nurse actually walked through them. They didn't seem to be bothered by it. So she pronounced my mother uh, that she was gone. And I asked if I could stay in the room and this whole ritual literally went on for 20 minutes, 20 minutes, our time. So as one would come up and greet her, they would kind of, you know, go off and do back to doing whatever they were doing. So the room kind of thinned out after a while. And there were like 10 of them left, 10 beautiful. Uh, some of them were beautiful. They were magnificent angel looking. Some of them were very tall, beautiful, beautiful souls that were helping assist her over. And I've always heard the superstition about cracking a window. And I don't know, this could just be coincidence because where I was sitting, there were windows behind me. And when they started to leave, they started to file out past me on the left-hand side. And they kind of would leaned over and like made connection with the top of my head. It was tingly. So um, the way that I see spirits is in my peripheral vision, I can see them as plain as I can see you. I can tell you what they have wow. on. I can, I can see them very, very clearly. However, when they get closer to me, it's more of a waffling to the air, like, like hot vapors coming off of a road or gas fumes, that, that waffling effect to the air. I, I don't know how else to describe it in a way that people would understand it. But if they've seen gas fumes, it kind of looks like that. And as my mother came closer, I recognized her because 
she had beautiful legs and she had on her patient gown still and I recognized her legs. So as she passed by, I felt her do the same thing. And I never grieved my mother's loss. I, she's still very much around me. There's some comical things too that I can share. My mother was always one that made the, uh, we have a holiday here called Thanksgiving where we eat turkey. So, and she was the one that was always making the turkey every year. And now she had passed away in July and November came and I had never made one before, but now it was my turn to make it. So I'm in the kitchen preparing the turkey and I hear my mom come through like a megaphone. Don't forget the aluminum foil. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to use aluminum foil. I wanted one of those nice brown turkeys like the ones they have on TV. Well, I learned real quick that without the aluminum foil, the breast burnt and the legs were raw. And we ended up eating hamburgers and hot dogs or something. Oh. Something very American for dinner. So, um, so it, it was just funny. And there are periods of time too, where she'll just come in like a megaphone. And I asked her one time, I said, mom, don't you miss the brownies that you used to make and the potato salad, the taste of potato salad. And she comes right through and she says, well, here we don't eat. She said, but everything is done through thought. We travel through thought. We, you know, we communicate through thought and all we have to do is think of the item, the, the potato salad or, or the brownies and the sensation and the flavor comes to us as if we are eating it. She said, and I thought to myself, well, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing here, you know, where everybody could do that and they wouldn't have the calories. So there are many, many times that she comes through. I still feel very, very connected with her. I'm still finding those hairs even after seven years all over the place where she's constantly letting me know that she's there. But um, with that being said, um, as, as a nurse um, working in end-of-life care, I've, as I said, I've seen many, many people preparing for crossing over. And a lot of times they start seeing their parents that have crossed over or they see loved ones that have crossed over, they start talking about seeing them. And um, I, have, I have an example. I have a lady that I'll, I'll call her Abigail. She was a patient of mine. She had come to the uh, facility that I was working at because her husband was her health was declining and they wanted to make sure that they have the three levels of care. But it just so happened that she ended up slipping and fracturing her hip. So she was on my unit. And uh, I got to know her very well. And uh, so she was, she was, one day I had come in and she had been talking about seeing her parents. And of course they started putting her on medication for hallucinations. And uh, I went into the room and she asked me, she said, Lynn, she said, do you think I'm crazy? And I'm like, what do you mean crazy? Cause we had that rapport that I could do that. I was teasing her a little bit. She said, no, really like crazy, crazy. And I said, no, you know why? And she said, well, you know, she says, the doctor's putting me on medication for hallucination, she says, and I see my parents, she said, and they come to visit me and it makes me happy. You know, it makes me feel good when they come. And she said, and, and I don't, do you, do you think that I'm hallucinating? And I said, well, do you think you're hallucinating? And she said, well, no. And I said, well, then I don't think you're hallucinating either because I had a different belief system <clears throat> than the traditional belief system. So, um, you know, she was worried. She said, well, the next day the doctor's going to start giving me more medication. And I said, well, I heard and report that they're going to be discharging you tomorrow morning. And as your advocate, as long as you are alert and oriented and of sound mind, you have the right to refuse. You don't have to take the medication if, if you don't want to. I said, they can't push that on you. You can say no. And so she was thrilled that she was going home. 
She went ahead and she went home. About six months later, her health really started to plummet and decline. She was back on my unit again. And she started talking about, in addition to her parents, seeing this, this young woman that would come to her room with a little girl. And um, uh, the problem was is that Abigail was now sneaking desserts and cookies from the dining room and bringing them back to her room to give them to the little girl. <clears throat> so they ended up having to start checking her purse and things so that she wouldn't do that. But anyway, I normally had worked nighttime. I had um, agreed to work a day shift for a friend of mine. And so I was on Abigail's unit during the daytime and I, everybody was settled after lunchtime. I was heading down the hallway to start my treatments. And as I'm passing Abigail's room on my left-hand side, I see Abigail, she, she's in her recliner. She's sitting next to a big window with an air conditioner underneath, kind of like the, the American hotels have mostly with that underneath air conditioner. And she had a piece of butterscotch wrapped candy in her hand and she was leaning forward, offering it. And anybody else that would have passed by, it would have looked like she was trying to feed the air conditioner. But I saw a beautiful woman, young woman standing in her room. She had a denim skirt, peasant blouse, dark hair about mid mid length down her back it was black black hair and and a little girl standing in front of her with the same black hair only bangs she had on a little light colored dress with a pinafore little mary jane shoes very very cute and i passed and i thought well, wait a minute you know we have regulations here that we have to have a head count in the building just in case the fire department there's an emergency and the fire department has to come and i don't remember those people coming through and signing in at the nurse's station while I was there. So I backed up and I went into her room and of course there was nobody there, but Abigail still sitting there leaning forward with her butterscotch candy, trying to, she was offering it to the little girl mm. who was in front of her. And of course, when I walked in, they weren't there, but I could see that wavering in the air. So I knew that they were still present. And Abigail says to me, she says, isn't, I want you to meet my friend. She was very, well raised and polite and you know I want you to meet my friends she says isn't the little girl beautiful and I said yes she is and Abigail perks up and she says can you see them and I said um yes and she said don't tell anybody they'll think <laughs> crazy and put you on medicine so here this woman had the wherewithal even though she was medicated for de for delusions and hallucinations she was still seeing the ghost. It didn't take it away because they weren't hallucinations. So the medication didn't take it away and she was still seeing them. So a couple of days passed, I came in for my night shift and um, she was in an active decline at that point. And I went into the room and I touched her hand and said, hi, you know, I'm, it's Lori, Lynn, I'm here, you know, just to check your blood pressure. And she woke, she opened her eyes and she says, I'm glad that you, that I get to see you one more time. And she told me, she said, my parents are coming for me tomorrow and you're going to take me home. And I said, they are, I said, well, you, you have a wonderful transition. And she told me something that to this day, it's still makes me want to cry. She says, and you're very much loved on the other side. She said, and you need oh. to keep doing what you're doing. And it may still makes me cry. So um, anyway, you know, I hugged her. I, I kissed her cheek and I told her, I said, you precious lady. I said, we will meet again. And she says, oh, we most certainly will. And lo and behold, 
when I left the room, left her to go back to sleep, she was kind of rallying in and out and checked her a few times during the night, but she was no longer coherent at all. And uh, so um, sure enough, I was off the next night and she passed away at about 10, 10, 10 something that evening. And I, and I could feel, you know, I could feel her saying to me, I made it home. You know, she went with her parents. Um, so many things have happened. You know, the thing is, too, is a lot of times people, they don't realize that during that time when a person is passing, they're so caught up in their grief that they miss a very, very important time that they can actually communicate with the other side themselves. And they can communicate because the person while they're talking to you and they're seeing Uncle Bob in the corner, instead of freaking out, oh no, Aunt Lula's hallucinating, Uncle Bob died five years ago and they're freaking out because they're, they're afraid or uncomfortable with it. So they run out and they get the medicine and, and don't go get the medicine. You know, it, it, these people are talking about souls that other people in the room also know. And I have another example, I've got many, many of them. I had a client that was blind. And she was only on my unit for about three weeks. I'm going to call her Edna. Edna was in the active stages of decline. She had a son and a daughter that were coming, that were with her in the room. And they both came to the nurse's station. Said, our mother's talking to people that aren't there. I said, okay. I said, well, I'll come down with you and see if I can make her more comfortable, see if there's anything that she needs. It was like she was reaching for snow. I mean, so delicate, like she was reaching for a snowflake. It was that delicate. And she was grinning from ear to ear. And I came into the room and I said, Edna, I said, who's, who's here? And she said, George. And her daughter just about turned and passed out because she said, George is my father. She says, my dad's been dead for 10 years. And then Edna says, she says, and he's glad that you're taking good care of Pixie. Pixie was her poodle. When George passed away because Edna was blind, they had, the son had taken the poodle named Pixie. Pixie was still alive and living with him. She was about 14 years old. And he, he just said, he's like, well, that, that was my parents' dog. He says, and I, I have her. Pixie, I still have her. She's still alive. And he says, do you think my mom's hallucinating? And I said, well, do you think she's hallucinating? You know, and he says, well, I don't know, but this is kind of freaky. And I said, well, let's just try something. I said, a lot of times people, they go through this. I don't know what your beliefs are, but they're, they're, they do, loved ones do come forward to collect their, their loved ones. And so I asked her, I said, Edna, can I ask George a question? And she said, you know, she said, you know, she nodded yes. And I said, George, what color is your son's shirt? Keep in mind, this woman's blind. She's, and she said yellow. He was wearing a light pastel yellow polo shirt. And he immediately, he's like, hi, dad. You know, he got it. There, there was no way. So here, you know, they're talking about these hallucinations, but yet this person was blind. How can you hallucinate if you're blind? You can't see things if you're blind, you know, not like what they would, what they would claim. And to me, that solidified it for me that the fact is that the that the loved ones do you know come in to collect also other souls that are close to death but not quite at this stage sometimes will also see when someone is actively passing they will see the loved ones coming in and angels coming in i had a, a client in that was sitting in front of the nurse's station that it had alzheimer's 
uh, she had been with us for five years and she had not spoken a word for three years. And um, I'm gonna, I'll call her Sally. And so Sally was sitting in the front of the nurse's station. I was just getting my things prepared to go down and do my medication pass. And all of a sudden I hear this woman yelling out, take me home, take me home, please, please take me home. Well, immediately I come out of the back area and I'm looking up and down the hallway and nobody's there, but Sally's sitting in the front of the nurse's station. I'm like, I wonder, you know, what, what that was. So I kind of, you know, walked out and looked and there was nobody there. And I went back in and all of a sudden I hear her again, take me home, take me home, please, please take me home. And I walk out and it's Sally. She's the one calling and she's looking down the hallway into a direction where we had a lady that was actively passing. She was the first door on the right. And um, Sally was looking down that hallway and she could see the loved ones that had come in, were filling the room. So when I walked over to her, I, I said to her, I said, Miss Sally, I said, what, what's, what's the matter? Who do you want to have take you home? And she says, look at the angels. Aren't they beautiful? And she's pointing down the hallway to where this woman's room was. Now, at first I looked down the hallway and I didn't see anything, but I do this thing that I call look, look, I don't know how else to describe it. And I could also see then the bulging. I mean, this lady had so many people in her room that they were, that, that they were bulging out into the hallway. And this is what this lady was seeing. And it just so happened that then Sally herself passed away about three months later. So they can see these things, these things, they, they are present. And a lot of times, you know, people, if, if they could become more comfortable and also keep their emotions harmonious during those times, because a lot of times when these souls come forward, if someone is having a sorrowful moment or something like that, it can increase that. And they, they don't like to do that. So a lot of times they kind of stand back a little bit during situations like that. Um, the things that I've learned, even through my mother and <clears throat> different things that I've, that I've noticed is there's, you know, there are so many times that, you know, people talk about, oh, well, I wish that so-and-so could be here for this, or I wish this, that, or the other thing. And, and they are, they're, they're preparing for the festivities of weddings and graduations and babies being born, even before, you know, you, even before, you know, we are getting ready for them and they will sit in seats. If there are empty seats, they won't sit on top of people. They like to have their own seat or they do a bleachering effect up in the corners and you can see them coming in. But the thing is, is they kind of keep their presence known on what I call the high high, which is really the low low, because of course they don't want people to become so distracted with them being in the room that they aren't focusing on the special day of the embodied soul, which like the bride coming down the aisle. Everybody's turned around backwards, staring at the angels while the bride's coming down the aisle. That's kind of rude. So they, they are aware of that. And um, the other thing is too, just to back up a little bit is during that period of time where souls have the opportunity to communicate with the other side, you know, so many times I've heard people say how they wish they could just tell somebody that they love them one more time or tell them that they're sorry or ask Uncle Bob what he did with the clock. You know, I mean, you, you have your opportunity at that time. You can ask and the person who is transitioning can hear them, the, telep the telepathy between her, and they can hear them the same ways they can hear you and they can 
um, definitely guide you with with that and to give you a response. Just try not to freak out when you get the response. What he said so and so. You got to kind of keep it calm a little bit so you don't have you know push them back. But they do. They create these beautiful these beautiful receptions for people and um, people that have and I have many many stories with that that not only I have witnessed but other nurses have witnessed as well um, with short term you know people that are not short term but sudden death. You know, a lot of times when they have sudden death, they go through a period of confusion a little bit because a gradual death is expected, mm -hmm. sudden death is not. So they kind of go through even the process of grieving, of the denial and the bargaining and all of that. And a lot of times, um, uh, for instance, I my daughter, my daughter was four years old. She's now 29, but she was four years old and we were driving home from a grocery store and we pulled up on this accident and this vehicle had gone underneath a, a truck it was a tanker going into a gas station that had gas and the truck the the vehicle had gone underneath the the tanker and of course the person was dead they had it roped off and my daughter says to me she says mommy who's the man with ketchup on his face i'm like what man with ketchup on his face the man that's looking at me in the window well, of course, I turn around and I don't see anything. But then out of my peripheral vision, as I move, I see this frantic man, you know, trying to get the attention of somebody. And then he left and he went down to a couple of other cars. Lo and behold, a man did, you know, pass away in that. A lot of times there has to be a stabilizing period for that. They still get the grand reception, but it's not right away. It would be a little overwhelming at that point. They have to understand that they have crossed over. Um, people do not die. It's a matter of shedding our skin. Literally, we are eternal. We go through, it's cyclical. We go through um, different lifetimes. We come to earth to learn lessons and to, uh, to do schooling, to help others, sometimes to correct things that we need to correct ourselves. But um, with that being said, the, with the, with the um, sudden death, like um, I, my sister, who was was uh, was murdered, was a, would be considered a sudden death. And the thing about death is, once they've left their body, they have the ability to be in six different places simultaneously at one time. And they can they they start to think about things like she she ended up in my mother's house. So you think about people, you just go. It's everything is with thought. You travel with thought and and everything like that. So um, the, the day that we found out that she had passed away, we met up at my mother's house. And I remember being in my mother's home, getting ready to leave to go home and, and prepare for um, the, the funeral and things like that. And I hugged my mother. And as I'm turning I out of my peripheral vision, I see my sister standing there waiting for a hug too. And she seemed hurt when I just walked off on her, you know, and ignored her and left. And I even said to my husband, which is now my ex-husband at the time, and I said, uh, we need to turn around and go back. I said, Robin was standing there next to my mother and I did not hug her. And um, so he started to turn around and I'm like, no, 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 wait. You know, um, my, my brother and sister-in-law are very, very religious. They don't have the same belief system as, as I do. And I don't, you know, to go in, it might be an uncomfortable situation. But I do remember before leaving the house, I was sitting in her bedroom and I was just talking out loud. And I said, please, 
you know, find someone to help you cross over. You know, you, you, a tragedy has happened. You're no longer living. Please find someone. Well, lo and behold, that night she showed up at the foot of my bed. I was sleeping. My, my husband saw her. She was there with my great grandmother. Um, then she also that night showed up at my brother's bedside. And he said that when she came in, that she had a man with her, my great grandmother, and she was with him. And he said that the man that was with her, he somehow knew he got help with his talents from. He wasn't somebody from the lifetime that he knew, but he did know the man. He was familiar in some way. And then my, my sister and my grandmother just stood smiling. And he said, when he reached out, he was like in a twilight sleep, but when he reached out with his hand and touched the area that they were standing in, that the whole room just burst into this beautiful white light and that then they were gone. And the message that he felt that he received was that she wanted us to know that she had crossed over and that she was okay. So the very next night, she shows up at my mother's house again with my, with my great grandmother to let my mother know also that she had crossed over. But once they do do the crossing over, they also get the grand reception of, of getting to connect with loved ones, loved ones that they left behind when they came here, loved ones that they're, you know, that may have crossed over ahead of them. And um, it just so many interesting things. There's so much that you can learn from children under age five and children in general anyway, but they're, 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 very close from coming from the other side, so they don't have all of the the um, veil the filters in place that that most people do, and so I had a couple of cases even where people were rallying at the time of death and they were talking about seeing people's children on the other side, and would come back. and Would you like me to tell about that story? Sure. Okay, I had a lady. Um, she was my patient. Her daughter was there. Her daughter was about 45 years old. And, and I, I'm sorry, that was her aunt. Um, and her aunt said to her, she said, honey, when are you going to have those two little girls? Oh, I, I would love to see those two little girls before I go home to Jesus. And so her, the, her niece said to her, she said, well, you know, we, my, her husband and her had been trying for 25 years to have a child and they just weren't able to and now she was in menopause and she said there's no way you know I, I don't know what you're talking about I don't have any children and she says you were holding one in each arm she says I, I they're, they're your children and she's like I don't have any children and so a couple as the weeks went on it was about three weeks or so later I had the client again she was actively declining she was in her state of rallying and all of a sudden she when they when they rally it's kind of like they're testing the waters. So you'll notice that their feet go flaccid and they're, uh, they're, they're kind of like the lights are on, but nobody's home. They're in a sleep that you can't rouse them from. So all of a sudden when they come back in body, their toes will perk and their eyes brighten up. And every nurse that, that has ever seen this will tell you that this is exactly what happens. So their eyes brighten up and she was at that bright moment. And she said to her, to her niece who came in the room while I was in there, oh no, these are your two little girls and they look, they look a lot like you. And she said, I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I can't have children. I'm in menopause. I, that's a nice thought that that's not going to happen. And lo and behold, her aunt passed away. So about six months later, her uncle was on the unit. He had had some surgery. He was just there for about a week or so. And I see her walking in. She's got a baby bump. 
she was she was pregnant with identical twin girls well over the period of time because her father um, lived out his life there at the, at the facility that I was working at. He also was on the unit, although he was on the other side, but he was on the unit at one point where he eventually passed away. I got to see her come in with her, with her little girls and they did look a lot like her. So she explained to me when I saw her with the baby bump that she was actually three weeks pregnant at the time that her aunt started talking about the children and um, and she didn't know it. She, you know, didn't think that she was. And she went and got a big surprise. She she went to the doctor, thought she was having mono because she felt so tired and drained. And so he's like, well, you know, let's do a pregnancy test and, and check. And sure enough, she was pregnant. So that turned out wonderful. And then there was one other time, same thing. I This was a mother and daughter. This lady was 49 years old. She had never been married. She wasn't dating anybody, wasn't living anybody, living with anybody. And she was very happy being alone in her life. She was settled. She, she was good. It was in hospice. It was, um, we had hospice coming in at that point in time. And so uh, with that being said, um, the daughter had left at one point and she had gone to the break room area. And there was a gentleman there whose wife had also passed that, that day. And he was, in there and they started talking they kind of built up a rapport and so they kind of comforted each other and they spoke over the phone for like a year very platonic nothing and all of a sudden after about a year he decides to ask her out and she agrees to go finally after reluctantly agrees to go she likes to she was telling me the story because I ran across her and um so anyway they went out, they had a wonderful time. They ended up getting married. Here she is now almost 50 years old. And she starts feeling under the weather. They've been married now. They're just coming up on their first year anniversary. He's already got four grown girls that are, you know, gone. And he's a grandfather. He's got grandchildren. And so she starts feeling under the weather and she goes to the doctor <clears throat> and uh, he took a test, you know, uh, and he says, well, I think you need to come back in tomorrow and have like a sonogram done to just to check because when he checked her, her, her uterus, it was much larger than it should have been at that point. And even with that, she had been in menopause for three years. So <clears throat> she came in the next day and she's watching the sonogram and she sees this, what she called a mass and she, the doctor's peeking in and she says, what is that? And he says, well, that's your baby. He says, and, and she was almost finished with her first trimester. So she was that far along, which is why her uterus was enlarged. And he said to her, he said, well, I suggest you go see your gynecologist and get on some prenatal vitamins. And so she had some concerns about the health of the baby. So she waited a little bit longer. They did an amniocentesis on her with an ultrasound at about week 14. And um, she wanted to make sure that the baby was okay before she you know, told, told her husband the news. And they're, like I said, their anniversary was coming up. So um, she found out that it was a healthy baby boy. And the thing was, is prior to that, her mother was saying to her before she passed away, she said, there's a little boy here and he's calling me grandma. She said, well, you know, I'm an only child and I don't have any children and I'm not getting married. And she's like, no, this, this little boy keeps calling me grandma. So again, this all, 
she was told about this child before she even had it. So lo and behold, the baby was fine. She goes home. She fixes up this little box with a, a blue onesie and a bib that says it's a boy and puts the, I guess, the date on the socks or something and gives it to her husband for their anniversary. And uh, in the opening, he says, who's pregnant? And she says, we are. He says, we are. He says, oh, well, there goes the boat. But he says, I'll gladly. <laughs> I'll gladly trade it in for a son because this was his first son. So, and she, by the time she had the baby, I mean, she was 51 years old, you know, almost mm -hmm. 51 and the baby was fine. Everything was good to go. And she got to have that. So, you know, a lot of times they see children that are coming in. They see, you know, a lot of things like that beforehand that they can share with you. You can learn so much from, from, like I said, a child under five. And if you listen to a person that's dying, you can get so much information from them and questions answered. You know, um, it just, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing if people would feel more comfortable with it. So the, oh. Amazing. You're, no, no, Lynn, you're like the best guest, guest ever. You answer all my questions. I don't even need to talk. It's fantastic. <laughs> Thank okay. you so much for sharing. It's just those incredible stories. And gosh, the work you're doing in hospice is amazing. And I have to take my, well, I don't have a hat, but my hat off to you. Um, Thank you. I just wanted to ask you a quick question that I'd love to move on to your two books. We're going to do this in a two-part series. But uh as a child, were you not, were you ever afraid of seeing spirits or ghosts at you all? You know, children aren't afraid of seeing ghosts and things. I mean, they've come so recently from the other side that it's kind of normal in that sense. Um, the thing about it is, is that, as I had mentioned too, which I, well, actually I didn't mention this part. At the time of death, a soul can choose to cross over or not. And sometimes the ones that have not crossed over can be creepy and scary, even for a child. If a, if a soul chooses at the time not to cross over, they still show the cause of death. They show they still have emotions. They still have addictions and things like that. And a lot of the, the souls that you see that are, and they're usually the ones that end up haunting your house. But anyway. Um, That's a good you, segue for what's coming up next. Yeah, yes, it is. Um, so. With that being said, the, um, what was I going to say? Just lost my train of thought. It'll come back in a second. With souls that do not, with souls that do not cross over, um, even sometimes in cases like being in a situation where I was in with, with end of life care, sometimes they will come around and hover curiously as they're watching. And a lot of times they're people that have died way back in like the 1800s because they're usually dressed in that older clothes because some of the beliefs, the religious beliefs back then were so stringent. So, you know, they felt they weren't worthy. So they, they, they didn't cross over or like, for instance, somebody that um, had maybe an ailing spouse or child that they were caring for and expected them to cross over first. And then they go first, they kind of stay to hover over pets, over loved ones. But the problem is, is that when their loved one then crosses over, they get stuck here. So they have to have some help to, to cross crossover and being in that fourth dimension where the third dimension the other side heaven other side home whatever you want to call it it's all the same thing pretty much um they get stuck in a fourth dimension which is a spirit realm where it's similar to being on earth as we are but with no body so um you know it's kind of an awkward place for them to be 
Um, I had it, for instance, when I, again, I had a client passing and I was with my medication cart standing at the door, getting ready to um, get something to help, help the person be more comfortable. And there was this soul, I'm going to call him Dapper Dan because he was a handsome man. He was dressed and uh, you could tell that he had money, that he wasn't rich, rich, but he had on nice clothes that apparently he was buried in. The way that he appeared to me, he had a Swiss cheese look to his abdomen area. So either he died of cancer or maybe cirrhosis of the liver. It was a corrosive disease, whatever it was that he died from. Um, and he was kind of peeking around from the side of a, one of the, the, the pole things that we had there. And I'm like, hi. You know, and he's like looking, he's looking around to see who I'm talking to because he's been ignored for centuries. So um, I said to him, I said, no, you, I said, um, why are you still here? You know, why haven't you crossed over? And he comes over to my card. He has this very, very heavy brogue, but he's still standing off to the side so I can see him. And he says, milady, he says, I can't cross over. And I said, well, of course you can. I said, why? I said, you know, this lady here is getting to cross. Her loved ones are all here. If you want to go over, maybe I can, you know, help you out. And then you can, you know, go ahead and cross over with this group of people. So not that you have to have a group of people, but I was just trying to let him know that he wouldn't be going by himself. Mm -hmm. So he said to me, he said, he said, I, I can't. He says, my girlfriend and my, my wife were up there and neither one knew about the other. So all of this time, He's been stuck earthbound because he didn't want to have to face the music of the fact that he was cheating and neither one knew about the other. And I said to him, I said, well, guess what? I'm sure they know by now. And, you know, when people cross over and they are on the other side, they can still travel back and forth at free will. They can travel back and forth. Um, they, they, the emotions, the negative emotions are pretty much are, are gone from that. You do go through a period of time where you do a life review and you do feel, you know, some of the emotions of what you caused for people and things like that, good and bad. And, um, and I said to him, I'm, I'm sure that they're not even holding an issue against you for that at this point. They may not even be there anymore. They may have, you know, come back into a lifetime or gone somewhere else. So um, I'm like, so if you want to go, let me know. I said, there aren't that many people that can see you. There aren't that many people that would know how to help you. If they did see you, they'd probably run in the other direction screaming. I said, but if you want to go, let me know. And he kind of smiled and faded away. So I don't know what happened to him. I didn't see him ever again. But, um, you know, souls, they sometimes they end up staying here for reasons like that. They end up uh, not crossing over and then they do get stuck and they get stuck here for a very, very long time. So unless someone is able to to help them cross. So, yeah, that was one of my stories. But, wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, obviously, you have the capability to assist souls to cross over. Again, we live in a, a realm of free will, so it is an individual choice. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that probably takes me on to your incredible experience of purchasing a haunted home. Uh, let's see. I was a single mother. I uh, had just, I was recovering from a devastating divorce financially. I was rebuilding my credit. I was living in a mobile home with my, my two um, children. I had a son at the time that was seven and a daughter. My daughter was 13. So, and I've had a third child since then. So you'll, you'll hear me uh, mention her too, but um, 
I had been looking for a year for a home to move into with my children to kind of get out of that, that kind of neighborhood. And um, my realtor calls me, of course, I had co contracted a realtor and the realtor calls me and she said to me, she said, there is a house that my colleague has just brought, come back from taking pictures of. And she says, this house is in your price range and it is almost too good to be true. And of course that should have resonated with me. <laughs> so I immediately, I race over, I, I, um, and, th and this story gets really creepy. I don't know if you want me to tell it with the beautiful story that we've just had, but um, my realtor, I ended up meeting up with her. And of course they had the papers and things to, to look at. And I'm looking at this house and I'm like, there's no way that this house could cost this much. This house could easily have been sold for a hundred thousand dollars more than, than what they were asking. So I started to ask her, I said, you know, would you please call the listing agent and make sure that the price on this house is right? Because this, this house really is too good to be true. It's on a dead end street. You know, I started asking her, I'm starting to think, well, maybe it's near a dump or some kind of nuclear plant or some stinky paper mill for it to be that price. How could a house, I mean, it was, it was a, uh, it was a brick house. It was 2,400 square feet. It was a split level that you would come in these big double entry doors under the foyer and you would either go up the stairs or down the stairs. It had three bedroom, two bath, formal dining. It, it was a nice house. It had this area below too as well. And so <clears throat> when we got to the house, I'm looking around the neighborhood. You know, I'm looking to see what the, what's wrong with the neighborhood that the house would be that inexpensive. And there, there wasn't anything. And, you know, through this process um, with the house haunting thing, one thing that I learned is it's not always the old house with somebody who died in it or got murdered. A brand new house can be haunted if it is built in the wrong place. It's not about the house, it's about the ground that it's built on and what was there. And you just don't know what was there 500 years ago. You could be on somebody's burial ground. So with that being said, the house, um, um, after seeing that, when we, when we got there, she was having trouble with the locks and the lock is key because there were problems with the lock throughout the whole time that I owned it. It turned out that there were two demons and a young man that had hung himself in the house. So when we finally got the door open, I went into the foyer. She's struggling to get the key back out and I'm walking up the stairs and out of my peripheral vision, I see this young man hanging in the stairwell. That is the end of our passionate episode. Thank you so much for listening and please subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends and spread the passion. As always, every day, may you be more and more passionate.